0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Aghyeh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: we are holding page 192. They have a saying that a person should not lower his guard. And for a moment... You shouldn't think that he has vanquished the evil inclination. You should realize it's still there. The enemy is at the gate ready to pounce. And the enemy has gotten stronger and stronger with each passing day, with each, each piece of potato kugel you eat and each bagel, and each, uh, every materialistic experience, human experience, materialistic experience, even though you're doing it with the most noble of intent, but nevertheless, you're having a human experience. When you're having a human experience, it coarsens you. And it strengthens your natural soul, your ego, strengthens your inclination. And therefore, it's not like your enemy is emaciated and the enemy, the enemy is strong, even though you are in total control. You haven't surrendered the, the city, you haven't surrendered to your body, your thoughts, speech, and actions, all your expressions are totally controlled and dominated by the divine soul. But nevertheless, the uh, animal soul is as strong as ever in your consciousness and is getting stronger and stronger from day to day. You have to be constantly vigilant. That's why the the soul, uh, we tell the soul before it comes into this world, the soul is told, is sworn, ministered an oath. You should always view yourself like a Russian. You should always view yourself as having that evil inclination and having that egotistical soul. Don't think for a moment. Don't delude yourself for a moment. Even though the world will tell you you're a tzaddik, why is the world telling you you're a tzaddik? Because the world only judges by appearance, judging by behavior. You are like a tzaddik. The Benin, the average, Jew, is like a tzaddik. He's perfect. He thinks like a Jew. He speaks like. Never says a lie. He never says a slander. Not even. A subtle slander, a subtle lie. Everything about you is perfect. And that's why the world says you're a tzaddik. You, don't be fooled. Don't be deluded for a moment. Realize, of course, practically you're a tzaddik. Don't be depressed. You're not a russia. God forbid. No one says you're a russia. But you're like a russia. You have the potential to be a russia because the evil inclinations are as strong as ever, as vibrant as ever. And you better be vigilant. Don't let your guard down for one moment. And then he says, even the highest level of a Benini. Top of page 192.
2: Even if one's entire aspiration is in Hashem's Torah, which he studies day and night for his own sake, this is still no proof whatever that the evil has been dislodged from its place. Perhaps, rather, the essence substance of the evil are in their full strength and might in its abode in the left part of the heart except that its garments, namely the thought, speech, and action of the animal soul, are not invested in the brain, mouth, and hands, and other parts of the body to think and do that which is forbidden.
0: So
1: he's saying that even, until now we were speaking about a Benini, a working person, a person who's involved most of his day, most of his time, is involved in the material world. So we understand now such a person who's having so many human experiences, who's immersed in the material world, in the human world, although he's acting divine, he's acting godly, he's acting Jewishly, thinking and speaking and acting as a Jew, but nevertheless, because you're immersed in the material world, um, therefore it makes sense that your animal soul and your ego is as strong as ever. Even though you may be perfect for 10, 20, 30 years, you haven't sinned once. But nevertheless, your animal soul is vibrant and, 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 and alive and you have to be alert because if you, if you um, lose vigilance for just a moment, the animal soul is ready to pounce and ready to conquer, conquer you. But he's saying even a Jew who's immersed in holiness, all day, that's all he does. His entire occupation is studying Torah. That's all he does, 24-7. All he does is he studies Torah. So you would think that such a Jew doesn't have to worry so much about his ego soul, about his unnatural soul, because the whole day he's immersed in divine activity. He's immersed in godly things. His whole day is occupied and engaged by studying Torah, except in the, the, few, the few hours of sleep or, the, or, or eating, but the, the major part of his day is dedicated, is engaged in godly things. He says, nevertheless, this is no proof that the evil has been dislodged. It's the essence of the, the evil is as strong as ever and not just when he says the essence of the evil he doesn't mean subconsciously he means even consciously the, the evil in the conscious level is as strong as ever your ego soul your natural soul your natural inclination is as strong as ever except that in the garments practically practically you're doing the right thing your thoughts are engaged in studying, of, studying Torah all day and night and your speech is engaged in studying Torah and your actions are engaged in mitzvah. T- Continue. Except, except
2: that its garments, namely the thought, speech, and action of the animal soul, are not invested in the brain, mouth, and hands and other parts of the body to think and do that which is forbidden, because Hashem has granted the mind supremacy and dominion over the heart. Therefore, the divine soul and the mind rules over the small city over all the parts of the body, making them the body's organs serve as garment and vehicle, i.e., as means of expression, garment that is totally subservient to its user, as is a vehicle to its rider. Thus, because of it, uh, because it, Hashem's given supremacy, the Divine Soul is able to use the body's organs as a garment and vehicle.
1: So not only is the body a garment, an expression of the soul, The body expresses itself through the soul. The garment reveals, just like the garment reveals a person. The person wears garments and he walks outside. Without garments, you don't walk outside. So the garments reveal you. And the garments also uh, express who you are. The type of garments they wear express you, express who you are. But, so not only is the body the expression of the soul, the body becomes the garment for the soul, it reveals the soul, it expresses the soul, it activates the soul, but in addition, it is totally subservient to its user, like a vehicle to its rider. The body has become totally nullified before the soul. That the soul purpose of every organ in the body is to express the soul. The hands are used to give tadaka, to do kindness. Every organ in the body is used exclusively for Hashem, for, to express the desire of the soul to serve and to connect with Hashem. So the body becomes a vehicle, a vessel, before Hashem. The um, fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, before his bar mitzvah, says he trained his body. He said about himself, he trained his body. Not only did he learn the code of Jewish law, but he trained his body that his body should automatically do exactly as it says in the code of Jewish law. Because one time he had some guests over and the guests noticed that he washed for eating he washed three times on the right hand, three times on the left hand. The code of Jewish law says he only washed twice. So he says, so the guest asked, Where, why are you washing three times? That's our custom, we wash three times. He says, why are you washing three times? It says "I only have to wash twice. Once, twice, once, twice. So he said that he doesn't remember of hand, but it it's definitely says, he didn't remember of hand where, and it's, it's on the side of, there's a goyish ashri. it says, that you should, the idea of washing an extra time. But he said that he trained his body, right before his bar mitzvah, right before 13, he was 12 years old, he trained his body that every organ of the body should do exactly as it says in the Code of Jewish Law. So this, this is the way he's doing it, this is the way he's behaving. It definitely says, it didn't, didn't just come from nowhere. In other words, without even thinking, the body did the right thing. Like a soldier that's trained to do, you know, a soldier, even when the soldier is asleep. You can tell that if the soldier is sleeping, because the soldier is ready in the moment's notice to jump out of bed and is ready to serve. So that's the idea of total subservience, where you're a vehicle. You're just there as a chariot, as a vehicle to express the will of the one riding you. So the body, he worked on his body so much that his body became a vehicle a vessel for the divine soul, that automatically, like when it comes time to say, Moedim, the Talmud says, you automatically you bow your head. Your body is already trained. You hear the word Moedim, you bow. It's not even you have to think about it. It's, it's Your body is so trained that it responds automatically. It's like a, a, a vehicle in the hands of the rider. The, the rider just wills and the vehicle moves because it's totally subservient. So that's the idea that not only not only is the body a garment, an expression that expresses the soul, that reveals, activates and expresses the soul, but the body actually becomes a vehicle. It's totally subservient to the soul. But nevertheless, it, it's only in relation to the garments, the garments of the soul. <laughs> Translate thought, speech and action. Continue.
2: Through which three garments, namely... The thought, speech, and action of the Torah's 613 commandments are expressed. It may be, then, that with regard to this individual's thinking and speaking words of Torah and performing mitzvah, the divine soul rules over the body. In this area, the divine soul has the upper hand and the animal soul is subservient. However, in its essence and substance, the divine soul has no preponderance over the essence and substance of the animal soul, in the case of the Bainani, except at those times when his love for Hashem manifests itself in his heart, on propitious occasions such as during prayer and the like. Then, as mentioned in the previous chapter, the Bainani is aroused through a burning love of Hashem that causes the evil of the animal soul to be nullified before the goodness of the divine soul.
0: So like
1: he explained earlier that when... When there's light there's no room for darkness when your mind and your heart are filled with the light of Hashem there's no room there's no room for darkness there's no room for the for the ego to manifest itself so when the divine soul is aroused and you have you feel a conscious love for Hashem on a conscious level when the heart is on fire then, at that time, when your heart is filled with the love of Hashem, and your mind is filled with a deep meditation, a deep awareness of godliness, during that time, that, those few moments, those special occasions, during the time of prayer, when you pray deeply, when you meditate deeply during prayer, and your heart and your mind are gripped and engaged in the love of Hashem, and the knowledge and awareness of Hashem, and you're concentrated and focused on godliness, then... At that moment, the animal soul, there's no room for the animal soul, there's no room for the ego. At least on a conscious level, at that moment on a conscious level, it's as if the animal soul doesn't exist. It doesn't bother you. It leaves you alone. It gives you a break. You have a nice recess, a nice break from the struggle and the conflict. So this happens on special occasions. Or, or prayer or like prayer, when you're having a special experience maybe when you're sitting at the Pesach Seder, maybe on special occasions, or Shabbat and the holidays, and a, and, a joyous, and a joyous moment, and a special moment. So there are special moments when, when your heart is filled with ecstasy and your heart is filled with a love for Hashem and your mind is filled with, with, with a deep understanding of Hashem. And for those moments, you're free of the struggle. You're free of the conflict. So those are very few, very rare moments very few and far in between. And even then...
2: Even then, during those times when the divine soul gains the upper hand over the animal soul, it is limited to preponderance and dominion alone. The divine soul succeeds in dominating the animal soul, not in
1: vanishing, in the sense of nullifying its essence. (laughs) In other words, subconsciously you cannot affect the animal soul. You can't change the animal. The animal soul is as powerful as ever. It's just for those brief brief moments on the conscious level, you don't feel the animal. You're you're free of the struggle. There's no longer any conflict. But deep down, subconsciously, beneath the surface, the animal soul is right there. Right beneath the surface, as strong as ever. Because we don't control what happens with our mind and our heart. Our minds and our heart cannot access our subconscious. Our minds and our heart... Which we think in words and even our loves could also be described in words, we love intense love, but it's all emotions that could be defined and described in words. all human experiences that could be defined um, in words, uh, logic, rational understanding, the mind, the heart this cannot touch a deeper place that's deeper than words, that's beyond words, which, are, which is our subconscious. So all the deep meditation in the world and the focus and the concentration and the understanding and the comprehension and all this, the feelings of ecstasy is all external, is, is surface, in relation to our garments, the thought, speech, and action that's internal, that's our personality, our character, our mind, our heart, but in relationship to our subconscious, which is our true core and essence, it doesn't even touch it. So all the meditation of the world and the deep meditation and the, and the feeling of ecstasy and all these emotions just touch our surface self, our conscious self. It doesn't touch or access, which can change, can affect or change our core self, our true core self, which is our subconscious. So subconsciously, right beneath the surface, our conscious self, the animal soul is as strong as ever. It hasn't been affected. It hasn't been touched. It hasn't been uplifted or refined by this experience. It's there, Waiting. The only thing is, we've anesthetized ourselves. We've put ourselves to sleep. You put the animal soul to sleep. When you sleep, it's there, but it's not conscious. You, so you put it to sleep. That's all. Sleep. But the moment you finish davening, it comes roaring back to life, <laughs> stronger than ever, as if nothing happened.
0: As it is written on the battle between Jacob and Esau, allegorically representing the war between good and evil in man's soul, and one nation shall prevail over the other.
1: There's a, an eternal wrestling match between Asav and Yaakov. Asav represents the ego, Yaakov represents the divine, the divine soul. And when this one rises, this one falls. When this one rises, this one falls. They can't be simultaneous, they can't share power. When the godly soul rises, the animal soul falls. When the animal soul falls, it rises, the godly soul falls. But he only quotes three-quarters of the sentence. He says, when this one rises, he's referring to the godly soul. When the godly soul rises, the animal soul falls. It's like in a a wrestling match. When this one wins, the other one is down. When this other one rises, he doesn't finish. He just says, etc. He's referring to the godly soul falls. It's a constant back and forth. Life, that's life. Life is a constant struggle, back and forth. Sometimes we win... We're on top, and then we get thrown down, and then we're in the bottom, and then we pick ourselves up. But it works both ways. The godly soul picks itself up, but doesn't get discouraged, even though you're down. You're never out. You get back up, and then you win. And then we have a, another wrestling match. And if you look throughout Jewish history, if you read your Bible, the Tanakh, one generation the Jewish people were righteous, and they succeeded, and, and, and then they reverted back to their evil ways and then they they, they, uh, they had setbacks and they were vanquished and then they cried out to Hashem they did teshuvah the godly soul stirred up they regretted their evil ways and then once again Hashem heard their cries and sent them a judge and they, he rescued them it's a constant seesaw it's just up and down back and forth one generation is successful another generation is evil one generation is righteous it, and that's really a reflection that's really the story of our lives it's tumultuous. It's up and down. It's constant fiso. Uh, sometimes the godly soul has the upper hand, and sometimes the animal soul has the upper hand. Sometimes the godly soul is powerful and strong and is riding high, and the animal soul is, feels vanquished, and other uh, a moment later, so, yeah, so the animal soul is on top, is riding high, and the godly soul looks a little nebuchadnezzar. So the point he's trying to make, uh, that even though, even though the animal soul has fallen down, the godly soul has, is on top, Zekom, the godly soul is on top, and zen Neufel, which automatically leads to the animal soul falling down, but nevertheless, the animal soul could pick itself up again. So just because it fell down doesn't mean it's going to stay down. So just because during prayer, the godly soul is on top, and the godly soul is so strong, so powerful, and your mind and your heart are filled with the light of Hashem, that on a conscious level you put the animal soul to sleep and the animal soul has no powers, powerless there's no room for the animal soul in your heart you don't even desire to do something wrong not only you don't do something wrong during prayer you don't even want to do something wrong because your heart is filled with the ecstasy of Hashem and so too in your mind you can't even enter into your mind because you're so filled with the light of Hashem and you feel elevated and noble and inspired but it doesn't mean that the animal soul is out. The ego is out. A moment later, the animal soul can stand up again and be on top, and you'll end up being on the bottom. So that's why you have to be very vigilant. Be very careful. Don't lose your guard. Don't lower your guard, even for a moment. Don't think just because you're riding high. Don't for, think for a delude yourself for one moment that you've already arrived. You're at the level of a tzaddik. You'll never be tempted again. You'll, ne, you'll, ne, you'll, ne, you'll never fall again.
0: Don't think for a moment. It's all up. Jacob, exemplifying the good, merely prevails over it, for the evil, but does not succeed in totally vanquishing him. This agrees with our sage's comment on this verse. When this one rises and prevails, that one falls, and when that one rises, this one falls. The animal soul, although it has, had fallen during prayer, is afterwards able to rise and rally once again, indicating that the divine soul had not succeeded in vanquishing it, even during prayer for which reason even its dominance is only temporary. Thus the divine soul gains strength and ascendancy over the animal soul in the source of strength, Kavura, which is understanding, Bina. In the Kabbalah's description of the Sefirot, Bina is the source of gavura. In terms of one's divine soul, this means that the source of its strength, Kavura, to combat the animal soul is found in its faculty of understanding, Bina the faculty with which it understands the greatness of Hashem.
1: The Kabbalists, in arranging the Svirot, you have two different ways of arranging the Svirot. One is where it's one, all ten are in one line. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, kindness, strength, mercy, compassion, etc. But the other way is is wisdom on the right side. Bina on the left side, the right brain, the left brain. Das is an integrative mind, right above the spine, it's in the center. And then you have Cheser, the right hand, that's how the human body is constructed. Cheser, the right hand, kindness, that's the, the predominant hand, the prevailing hand, the left hand is Gevura. And Rachmanus, it's the heart. Then you have the two legs, Netzach and Hoid and Yisoy, the male organ, and then the feminine, the receiving is Malchut. That's that's in the center. So, according to this way of describing the Svirot, the three on the same line are all connected. Chachm is connected to kindness. Bina is connected. Understanding the left mind is is connected to strength. (coughs) Because the way the analytical mind works, it breaks it down, it defines it, it breaks it down into pieces, detail by detail. In order to grasp it, in order to truly understand the concept, you have to define it. You have to you have to break it down into its components, and and that's also the idea of gevura, strength of def- defining, of restraint, of limiting, of the break of, and um, of being of making sure that of being worthy, making sure that you're worthy and that you're ready. So the source of bina, the source of gevura of strength is bina. So in order to overcome, the strength. Um, of the Sahara, you have to, in order to what gives the godly soul the strength, it's through bina, through understanding, through contemplation. When a person, the more a person contemplates, and the more a person understands and comprehends godliness, and truly understands and comprehends godliness, that gives you the strength, that gives you the strength to overcome the negativity, to overcome the Sahara, to overcome the evil inclination. So it's like you fight fire with fire. When you're fighting fire, you gotta, you got to use the same material. Can't, you can't, otherwise you're not, you're, not, you're not communicating. It's like the Zohar says, when you want to chop wood, how do you chop wood? You got to use wood to chop wood, because the axe is made up of wood. So when you're chopping down the forest, you, you're using the forest to chop, it to chop down the forest. You need wood and axe, the handle of the axe is made up of wood. You need a handle in order to chop the forest. So in order to deal with the Yetzirah, which comes from restriction and concealment, you got to deal with it with the same... you got to fight fire with fire. you got to use the same strength. <coughs> so yeah, the, you have to go to the source. And the source of Gevura is actually um, is Bina, understanding. And the more you understand, then you can sweeten. Sweeten the strength. You can sweet, sweeten the negativity. If you want to sweeten the darkness, sweeten the negativity... It's through understanding. The more understanding you have, the more contemplation, the more you're able to grasp godliness. That helps you that strengthens the godly soul and gives the godly soul the strength to be able to fight and to overcome the the animal soul. So during Davening, that's that's what he's referring to during prayer. Prayer is a time of contemplation, of meditation. And when you contemplate very deeply, you, you, you meditate on godliness That leads to ecstasy, which gives you the strength, at least during prayer, to overcome the animal soul, to put the animal soul to bed, to rest. But the animal soul shouldn't interfere.
0: Thus, when the divine soul gains strength over the animal soul during prayer, pondering on the greatness of Hashem, the blessed I am and thereby giving birth to intense and flaming love of Hashem in the right part of his heart, and then when the divine soul dominates the animal soul, With its intense and revealed love of Hashem, the sitra akhva, the evil of the animal soul, in the left part of the heart is subjugated. But it is not entirely abolished in the case of the Beinuni. It is so only in the tzaddik, concerning whom it is said, My heart is void within me. The abode in the heart usually occupied by the evil inclination is void in the heart of a tzaddik. He, the tzaddik, despises and loathes evil with a consummate hatred. If he is a complete tzaddik, or without quite such utter hatred that he is an incomplete tzaddik, as explained above in chapter 10. He says, only in the tzaddik, the tzaddik
1: was able to abolish his evil inclination, where his evil inclination is a corpse, is void, is empty, it's not there. In other words, not just on the conscious level, not just on a conscious level that he doesn't feel his animal soul but even on a subconscious level the core and essence of his animal soul has been um, his heart is void he doesn't have any his left heart is void there is a tzaddik like David HaMelech whose heart is void he has vanquished his evil inclination he has truly vanquished his evil inclination. He has destroyed his evil inclination. How did he vanquish it? Through fasting. By denying himself and deprivation, denial and deprivation, he, um, he has totally vanquished his evil inclination. But then you have another tzaddik, like Avram Avinu, who has actually transformed his yetzahara. His heart is not void. The Yitzhahara is there. But the Yitzhahara has been totally sublimated. And the Yitzhahara has become
0: like the Yitzhah taif. How do we know that about Avraham A'viro? That he still has the Yitzhahara?
1: Because it says, um Mitzhah HaSlafavei Nehmele Fanecha, he has found his heart, his, his entire heart, has been faithful to Hashem. His entire, both of his hearts, is is entire heart has been faithful to Hashem and um, even as Yetzirah has been totally totally transformed versus King David who says Libi Chalal Bekir my heart is void within me it's empty it's as if there's no Yetzirah there even in my subconscious heart my inner heart the kirbi inside of me It's as if it's gone, it's not there. Cholol means uh, empty. Cholol, empty in Hebrew.
3: How do they refer to the the ventricle of the heart?
1: Cholol hasmolit. Cholol right. Cholol, right. Space in the heart, the left side of the heart. But Cholol, Libi, my heart, Cholol is empty inside. My heart, the left side of my heart, where... That's where the Yetzirah is usually found. In my case, he says, King David says about himself, my heart is empty. There's no Yetzirah. I have no Yetzirah. It's absent. He doesn't say, I've slain my Yetzirah. There is an interpretation, Halal, mean in Hebrew, I've slain my Yetzirah. Halal, like a corpse. It's dead. It's lifeless. It's a corpse. I've slain. I've killed my Yetzirah. But here, here he interprets Halal that it's empty. It's void. It's no longer there. So that's what he's trying to emphasize, yeah, that he has slain his Yetzahara. He has slain it through fasting. he's slain it, and he's no, it's no longer there. It's empty. There's an emptiness there. That's what he's trying to emphasize, that when he killed his Yetzirah, it means... There is no yetzahara. He has emptied it. Not that he has transformed the yetzahara. It's a higher level. Transforming is what Avraham Avinu accomplished. Avram was able to utilize the yetzahara, sublimate the yetzahara, not to destroy it, to turn the yetzahara around, turn the, the yetzahara into 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 that's a, a, higher that's a higher level. That's a higher level. So they're both, higher level. they're both tzaddikim. They're both tzaddikim. <laughs> but but there, there are two levels of the tzaddik. We learned earlier, there's an incomplete tzaddik, the complete tzaddik, the incomplete tzaddik is one who hasn't transformed his yetzahara. He has slain his yetzahara. There's a void, but he hasn't transformed his yetzahara. The complete tzaddik is one who has transformed the yetzahara, sublimated his yetzahara, negative into positive. The yetzahara itself becomes a force for the positive. It's as if he has two, two yetzah types. That's what he says. He, the tzaddik, despises and loathes evil, either with a consummate hatred, if he's a complete tzaddik, if he has totally transformed his evil inclination, or without quite such utter hatred, if he's an incomplete tzaddik. But this is only true of the tzaddik.
0: All the above applies to the tzaddik. But in a benoni, the evil merely lies dormant, as with a sleeping man, for example, who can awaken from his sleep at any time and reactivate his faculties.
1: When you're asleep, your conscious is asleep. But your subconscious is, is there. It's dormant. Everything is there. But it's dormant. All your faculties are present. It's just dormant. It's there. Nothing changed. You can wake up in a moment. So it's asleep. Your evil inclination is asleep. Your ego is asleep. You don't feel it. It's not conscious. You don't, it's not alive in your heart, and your mind. But it's there. It's dormant. And it could stir up any moment from your subconscious to your
0: conscious in a moment's notice. So is the evil in the Benoni dormant? as it were, in the left part of the heart, not functioning at all, not even desiring physical pleasures, during the recital of the Shema and Amidam, when his heart is aglow with the love of God, causing the evil of the animal soul to be dormant. Therefore, after prayer, can we reawaken?
1: Now, he's going to, this entire chapter, he's referring back to chapter 1, answering the questions he asked in chapter 1, starting with the oath. That's administered to the soul before the soul is born, before the soul is sent into this world. And then he asked the question, how could Rabbah mistake, mistake himself for being a Benani? Rabba, is the greatest leader of the Jewish people, who didn't stop learning for a moment, a single moment, how could he possibly delude himself that he's a Benani? And it seems that everything that the Rebbe explained till now would not answer that question. Because we said, what's the difference between a Benani? What's the definition of a Benani? A Benani is like a tzaddik when it comes to his behavior behaviorally, like a tzaddik, he's perfect. He's in total control, total master. Thought, speech, action, does everything that's right. Perfect. But however, internally, consciously, the benni is more like the rasha. The benni has an evil inclination, has a healthy ego. Versus the tzaddik, the tzaddik, because the tzaddik has achieved a core transformation, the tzaddik doesn't even have an evil inclination, is not even tempted to do anything wrong. So the question is, yes, Rabbah, did not delude himself. Rabbi knew that he was perfect. He was so perfect that he didn't even waste a moment, a moment's opportunity to learn. Every waking moment that he had, he spent learning, which is rare, unusual, even in the Talmudic times. So he knew that he was perfect. But still, how could Rabbi delude himself that he was a baini? Rabbi knew that he had no evil inclination. Rabbi knew he never had any negative urges. He never was tempted to do anything wrong. Not only did not do anything wrong, he was never tempted to do anything wrong. Which automatically would classify him as a tzaddik. So, how could Rabbi delude himself as a baini? A person going through his entire life, never had any urges, any negative urges, never had any evil inclinations, never felt egotistical, was only motivated to do the right thing. How could Rabbi delude himself that he's a Beinani? Now, the Rebbe is going to answer it. So the Rebbe is going to say that there is a concept. The highest level of a Beinani is a Beinani. We said that the Beinani. During brief moments, the beni could reach the level of the tzaddik. When the beni prays during prayer, when the beni is immersed in prayer, when there's light, there's no room for darkness. When the baini is immersed in prayer during that those moments, he's free of the conflict. He has no conflict. The yechidahara is dormant. The ego is dormant. So now the Alter Rebbe introduces us to the concept: there is a beni who's constantly praying. His state of being is as if he's constantly praying. He's so aroused. His mind is so focused. And his heart is in such ecstasy and, is, and so inspired that it's as if he's constantly praying. He's constantly, he's constantly in a mood. He's constantly motivated. He's constantly focused on, on godliness. Therefore, his heart and his mind is always filled with light. There's never any room. He doesn't allow his Yetzirah to wake up. So the Yetzirah, the evil inclination of the ego, is, is constantly asleep. It's such a powerful anesthesia that he's constantly out. He's constantly giving him anesthesia, constantly putting him out. So the Yetzirah doesn't have a chance or a moment to wake up. Not that it's not there. It's there, but it just it simply, it simply doesn't have a chance. Not only does he doesn't have a chance to express himself behaviorally, he doesn't even have a chance to express himself consciously. That, on a conscious level, for what, he doesn't even feel Consciously, he doesn't even feel as the her even for a moment, because his mind and his heart are constantly focused on godliness. But nevertheless, it's very possible that subconsciously, his Etahari is still there. Rabbah was not convinced that he reached the level of the Tzaddik, just because his behavior was perfect, and even more so, just because he never even had an urge, a negative urge. He thought that he's on the level of the beden, he who's davening all day. So he's constantly motivated, inspired, so there's no room, there's no room. He's not allowing for the evil inclination to surface. It's there right beneath the surface, but he, he, he just doesn't allow it to express itself. But it's possible it's still there. He says, how do I know that I'm a tzaddik, a genuine tzaddik, who has totally transformed his evil inclination? Or, there's a void in his heart, so the evil inclination is dead, and slain, and gone. He had no proof of that. He says, I don't know. So you could, at least we can understand how Rabbi could make a mistake Rabba was making a mistake. Rabba was not a ben; he was a tzaddik. He was a tzaddik of his generation, and he was a genuine tzaddik. And he did slay his Yetzirah. and his heart was void and empty of evil inclination. He had; he did achieve a core transformation. But at least we can understand how Rabba could honestly think to himself and say, "How do I know? I don't have proof. How do I know? Just because I don't have an evil inclination does not necessarily prove that I'm a tzaddik." That was a Rabba's point. Objectively speaking, honestly speaking, he says, just because I don't have any evil inclination, that doesn't prove that I'm a tzaddik. It's very likely that there has been no core transformation. I'm still very earthy. I'm still very human. I'm still very much down to earth. I haven't joined that elite group that's otherworldly and divine and godly. I'm very much a part of this world. Why don't I feel any urges, any negative urges or instincts? It's because I'm constantly inspired. My mind is constantly focused on godliness. And therefore, I'm just constantly anestheticizing my evil inclination, my ego. I'm not allowing it to wake up. So it's constantly dormant. It's, it's a perpetual state of dormancy. Perpetually asleep. I'm constantly distracting myself with godliness, and therefore I don't, I don't give it a chance. But it doesn't mean it's not there. I have no proof of it. So now at least we can understand where Rabbah is coming from. How Rabbah can even make such a mistake without being a delusional. He says, I have no objective proof that I'm a tzaddik. What's, the, what's my proof that I'm a tzaddik? That I'm perfect. That I w- every waking moment I study Torah, that doesn't prove anything. But the fact that I don't, I don't even have any urges to do anything anything negative, that doesn't either prove it that I'm a tzaddik. I could very well still be a bait. It's just that my evil inclination is dormant. It's just asleep. I'm not allowing it to wake up because I'm constantly inspired and motivated and focused and concentrated. So it doesn't prove anything. I'm like davening all day long. we were Hasidim, we used to daven all day long. And so maybe I'm davening all day long. So it doesn't prove that I'm a tad.
3: For this reason, Rabbi considered himself a vanity. though his mouth never ceased from Torah study. And his desire was in studying Hashem Seir study day and night with a craving, desire, and want. His soul yearning for Hashem with overwhelming love, such as that experienced during the recitation of the Shema and Amidah. Uh, during prayer, as mentioned above, the Bainini's heart is aroused through love of Hashem so passionate that he does not feel the evil of his animal soul at all. The Abba, however, experiences arousal of love not only during prayer, but throughout the day. Therefore, his animal soul was always dormant, and he never desired mundane matters. It was therefore possible for him to consider himself a Bainini, for he appeared in his own eyes as a Bainini who prays all day, namely a benini who throughout the day retained the level attained during prayer. As indeed our sages said, would that a man pray the whole day long. Such a benini is constantly obliged to the Lord of Hashem, and consequently his desire for evil is always dormant at its Therefore, the absence of any evil desires did not conclusively prove to Rabba that he was a tzaddik. It was still possible for him to maintain that he was a bainani a bainani who prays all day long.
1: You know, this is the, the focus, the main focus, of the Chabad Hasid, what distinguished the Chabad Hasid from other chasidim is those who considered themselves, counted themselves as Chabad Chasidim, would spend hours praying. Prayer was an event. Prayer was an experience. Prayer wasn't just mouthing the words. Prayer was about experiencing godliness. Prayer was a time to meditate, to focus, to contemplate godliness. And to inspire and to be inspired and to evoke the way to the heart was through the mind, through awareness, through c- consciousness, through understanding, and a very intense focus that evoked a response within the heart, a feeling of ecstasy and inspiration and arousal, of a love to Hashem, a feeling of closeness to Hashem, a desire to be close to Hashem, a yearning for godliness. Or uh, a sense of awe, a sense of, of distance, of r- our remoteness from Hashem, um, a sense of sensing the beauty of Hashem, a sense of compassion, and the divine soul. The divine soul has plummeted from such heights, from from such heights to this coarse, dark, egotistical, materialistic world. The Chassid, the Chabad Chassid, would spend time davening just to experience godliness to not just to mouth the words to think about it but to actually experience it well, they tell the story Rabbi Dov Ber the Magad of Mizrich, had a colleague and they both studied together they studied Kabbalah together and the colleague came to visit his Rabbi Dov Ber and he sees that he's davening it took him a few hours to daven he says I don't, I don't understand he says, I know the same Kabbalistic intentions that you know. We studied together. Yet I davened, it took me a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour. Why is it davening taking you so long? But well, this friend, the Rabbi Dovber, was a businessman. He would travel twice a year, he would go to the big marketplace, he would buy wholesale, and the rest of his time he would spend learning. He was very successful, so he, he was able to do business two months a year, and the rest of the time he was able to study. Rabbi Dover says, he says, I don't understand. Let me ask you a question. Why do you have to go to Leipzig? Leipzig is where the big, the wholesale market was. Why do you have to go there and travel? You waste so much time. I know every minute is precious to you. If you were able to, you would prefer to sit and study Torah 12 months a year. You have no choice. You have to do business, so you go traveling, do business. He says, why don't you just close your eyes and imagine you're getting on the horse. Imagine you're traveling to Leipzig. Imagine you're buying the merchandise. Imagine you're bringing home the merchandise. Imagine you're selling it to all the retailers. And imagine you're depositing your money in the bank. <laughs> and that whole and then open your eyes. That whole thing would take you two hours. Instead of wasting a month and actually going to Leipzig and actually buying the material and actually bringing it back home and selling it and depositing it. So he smiles. what He smiles. You can imagine, but <laughs> at the end of the day, with the, you can't feed your family with imagination. You need real money in the bank. You have to go. So he says, that's the difference in you and I. He says, you are imagining all the Kabbalistic uh, intentions. You're thinking about it. So it's very quickly you you, You're there very quickly. You think this stop and that stop, and then the davening is over. He says, I actually, I'm traveling. <laughs> I have to go there. I have to be there. When I davin, when you say the word, you should love Hashem with all your heart, I'm not going further until I actually experience it. Just saying the words and mouthing the words and knowing it and thinking of it doesn't mean anything. It hasn't moved me, it hasn't touched me, it hasn't affected me, it hasn't inspired me. It's meaningless. I can't take it to the bank. You can't do anything with it. It's abstract. I'm not moving further until when I say, love Hashem with all your heart, I can experience that. I genuinely love Hashem with all my heart and all my soul. And that takes time. Just to accomplish that, that takes time. That, that, that's why it takes a few hours to daven. You can't just sit and say it and quickly and it's over and done. With that, that, that's abstract, that's external, superficial, that's meaningless. So this was the mark of the Chabad Chassid. The Chabad Chassid would sit and daven for hours until he actually would experience Godliness, felt Gaddim, was inspired, was moved, was touched, was elevated. And only then, then would, would, he, would he continue in his davening. So, there were Hasidim, It was the rear Hasid, not everyone. Hasidim would daven an hour, two hours, three hours. course they would wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning and they would go to the mikvah and then they would start learning Hasidim and start the preparations for davening. And at 12 o'clock noon they were still davening. They started at 5 a.m., but at 12 o'clock noon they were still davening. But it was the rear chassid. It was one chassid whose shachris, mincha, mayrev would be one succession. Not because he started davening at 4 in the afternoon. (laughs) He started davening at 4 a.m. in the morning. But he davened the whole day. Because he was so genuine. Every, Every word of davening. He didn't go further until he felt it and he experienced it and he went from one level to the next level to the next level. And it would take him all day. And then it would would be the end of the day. He would go straight to Mincha, which would lead him straight to Majdhiv. And he didn't get home till midnight. He was davening all day. And this was every day. The Talmud says, Halavai. Halavai, a person should daven all day. Meaning, the the rabbis instituted, we daven three times a day. Because a person needs these three times in the day you need to be inspired. You need to center yourself. You need to focus. You need to remember what it's all about. When you wake up in the morning, it's a brand new day. You're still rubbing your eyes, not just physically, also spiritually. You're raw. In order to be inspired, to feel godly, you have to, you need that morning That morning, uh, that's the opening of the day. You have to start with davening, with connecting, remembering yourself, reminding yourself, remembering who you are, remembering what it's all about. Your soul has come down to this world. You want to reconnect with Hashem. You want to feel Hashem. You want to experience godliness. And only then do you feel awake. Otherwise, you're still sleepwalking, spiritually sleepwalking. You only feel awake and fully awake after you daven. Then you feel spiritually awake and wide awake and you feel... You've experienced Godliness. Now you feel alive. Now I'm ready to go out and and conquer the world and do what I have to do. And then in the middle of the day, you need a break again. You need a quick break. You're immersed in the material world, in your career, in your business, and you forget about Hashem, so you have to stop. Whatever you're doing, in the middle of the day, right smack in the middle of the business, you have to stop and pray Mincha, connect once again to Hashem. And that's the most difficult prayer. With that, you get straight to the point. Right smack in the middle of the busy day, you stop and you pray. And then at night, at the end of the day, to, to digest before you go to sleep. In order to wake up like a Jew, you've got to go to sleep like a Jew. At the end of the day, you have to digest everything you've accomplished. Again, you have to connect with Hashem. So the rabbis instituted that we should daven three times a day, but there were those rare individuals who would daven all day. The morning would carry them till the afternoon, the afternoon would carry them till the evening, and... So he's saying that Rabbah, even though Rabbah did not spend his time davening all day, Rabbah spent his time learning and studying all day, but he was on the level in terms of inspiration, in terms of being aroused, in terms of being spiritually awake, in terms of being awake and alert and aware, Rabbah was on the level of the Beemni who davens all day long. His mind was constantly focused and concentrated on Hashem. He always felt Godliness. His heart was also always aroused and inspired by God. And nevertheless, he did not consider himself a tzaddik. So I have no proof that I'm... Of course he was a tzaddik, but he said, I have no proof that I'm a tzaddik. What's, what's the proof that proof to me that I'm a tzaddik? Just because I'm perfect, it doesn't make me a tzaddik. That's a vein Just because I don't feel an evil inclination, that still doesn't prove that I'm a tzaddik. I have no evil inclination because I'm constantly, uh, constantly aroused and constantly inspired so all it, all all it means is my evil inclination. it's alive and well and it's right beneath the surface it's dormant it's asleep i'm constantly uh, <laughs> administering anesthesia and the animal soul is asleep that's all but it's there See, even though i am at this stage and this level 10 20 30 40 years many years it doesn't matter the hate is still there it can wake up in a moment and come roaring to life. So the essence is still there. There hasn't been any core transformation. What's the proof that there's been a core transformation? That I'm made up of a different substance. The tzaddik is almost made up of a different substance. The tzaddik has no evil inclination. The tzaddik has achieved a core transformation. The tzaddik has transformed himself subconsciously, which 99.9% which perc- of human beings have no access to, barely even know exists. We can't change that, that place within us. The tzaddik has changed that place. The tzaddik is so deep. The tzaddik has totally transformed himself. So it's almost the tzaddik is made up of a different substance. The tzaddik, his being is divine. Not just he's acting divine. The tzaddik, his very being is divine. Not just he's acting divine or is consciously divine. His mind is, is, is focused on the divine. His heart is inspired with the divine. But subconsciously, his very being is divine. He says, I have no proof that my very being is divine, that I'm a tzaddik. Therefore, Rabbah, could make the mistake. And he can say, I'm a benedict. Without deluding himself. Not that he's delusional. Rabbi knew the score. He knew exactly. He knows what he feels inside. And he knows his behavior. He knows that he's perfect. But still, that doesn't make me a sad Maybe I'm still a benedict. I'm just a benedict. So Rabbi thought that he was a benedict, <laughs> Rabba, rabbi, the foundation, the pillar of the world, the tzaddik of his generation, the one who didn't stop learning, even in the times of rabbi's times, in times of the Talmud, this was such a rare phenomenon, a person who didn't even waste one single second of his life, every waking moment he had, he, used, he utilized to learn Torah, somewhere. so when it came time for him to pass away, the evil, the angel of death couldn't even reach him. Because he was constantly learning. When he's learning Torah, the angel of God couldn't reach him. He had to make a whole subterfuge. He had to rattle the trees to get him for a moment to stop learning. And that's what second he stopped learning, he was able to do his mission, carry out his mission and take his soul from him. So even those days, it was such a rare phenomenon. In times of the Talmud. And he's only a Benen. So is anyone of us going to delude ourselves that we're a Benen? Halavai <laughs> Benen. Halavai, halavai, we should be a benini. So people, we shouldn't throw the terms around so loosely. Tzadik. People we call tzaddikim. this nice rabbi, and this nice Rashi Shiva, and this nice... It's not tzaddik. Halavai, Halavai Beninim. He's surely not a ra- rabbi. <laughs> With all due respect, this rabbi and Rashi Shiva is not a rabbi. And rabbi didn't think he was a Tzadik. Honestly, genuinely, he didn't think he was a Tzadik. So surely, don't confuse... When we confuse terms, we're not making anyone greater by giving him terms that are just not appropriate. You have to understand that tzaddik is a, is a core transformation. Just because a person studies Torah all day, he's a rabbi in the Rosh shiva, a dean of yeshivan is immersed in studying Torah all day, it doesn't make him a godly person, it doesn't make him a holy person. He's behaving holy, he's acting holy, he's acting divine. He's doing a holy thing all day and all night. But that doesn't make you holy. It doesn't mean that your being has become holy. There's been a core transformation. It doesn't mean that your mind thinks in a holy way. It doesn't necessarily mean so. The tzaddik, whose being has become holy, his mind thinks differently. Everything he processes is differently. Because consciously, subconsciously, his entire being has become godly. He looks at the world differently. When he looks at the world, he's looking at it from a godly perspective. While when we look at the world, even the great Rabbi in Rosh Hashiva is looking at it as a human being, as a finite human being, as an external, egotistical human being who's, who's behaving, is doing everything that's right, who's behaving appropriately, who's doing everything that's right. But it doesn't mean, since there's not been a core transformation, it doesn't mean that he has that subtle, that, that subtle divine perspective. It doesn't mean that he's permeated with the reality that there's nothing but God. It's totally egoless. Not egoless. You'll be very religious and very observant, and you're totally egotistical. But you're doing everything that's right. So Rabbi thought, yes, he's constantly thinking about Hashem. He's constantly inspired by Hashem. But does that mean that he has no ego? That he's totally egoless? He yes, no. And therefore, I'm still viewing this world from a very egotistical perspective. I'm not viewing this world from a godly perspective. I'm not a tzaddik. Tzaddik is different. Tzaddik is holy. His being is holy. Everything about him is holy. Everything he does is holy. Because his entire being has been transformed, subconsciously. He looks at the world from a holy point of view. There's nothing ordinary about the Tzaddik. Even his ordinary things is also holy. Everything about him speaks holiness. Because his whole being is God. He breathes holiness. He eats holiness. He drinks holiness. Everything about him is holy when you share the meal of a tzaddik it's holy when you take from the food that the tzaddik ate it's holy because his eating is holy he eats holy he drinks holy he thinks holy when you take the food of a rabbi in the Russian shiva <laughs> there's not, nothing holy about it because we can't we can't confuse when everything is thrown together and you know we just use the term throw the term loosely around no oh, tzaddik and this one's a tzaddik and everyone is a tzaddik it just you just demean the whole terminology you diminish the meaning of the terminology if Rabbi said he's not a tzaddik, you imagine what a tzaddik is? And when, the, when, when you have find, and you meet the genuine tzaddik, you meet someone like the Rebbe, a genuine tzaddik, you have to realize you're dealing here with something that's so rare, something that's so unique, something that's so holy, something that's so special. And that's, that's so... It's when People don't differentiate, and you can't make a distinction. You know, just imagine, you you put Einstein and, and, and the physics professor, the first grade the physics teacher, all in the same boat. I mean, there are people who talk about tzaddikim. I saw a biography there, a book of biographies. They put everyone there on the same page. This little rabbi, this little pal, you know, the previous labavitcher rabbi. I mean, like, like, you know, it's like a person describing in the same breath Einstein professor, Einstein, and and, and your physics teacher in sixth grade. I mean, it's like... It's like you have no understanding, it's demeaning, it's diminishing, you have no understanding when people throw the word tzaddik, and everyone is a tzaddik, it means you have no understanding of what you're talking about. You You have to put everything into perspective to realize how special a tzaddik is, what a rare phenomenon a tzaddik, how so exalted it is, what a special soul, what a special person. How holy that person versus the one who's not a tzaddik although he's acting godly and he's thinking godly and he's speaking godly and perhaps even in the level of Rabbah where your mind is constantly focused on godliness so you're not even troubled by your Yetzirah you're not even troubled you, you, you have transcended the struggle because your Yetzirah is constantly dormant but there has not been a core transformation your being has not become holy you have, you're not egoless you still have a healthy ego subconsciously And therefore, it colors your whole perspective. You don't have that subtlety, that holiness of the tzaddik. You don't see things the way the tzaddik sees. next class, we're going to learn the third part of the 13th chapter. We'll learn about um, the difference between the Benini and the tzaddik and the definition of emmas, the definition of truth.
2: So agitated over somebody, some people are mentioning other people. As, they're throwing it around loosely, like, <laughs> like
1: Because you're not doing anyone any honors. By, like, using, by using false, false, yeah. false, uh, you know, one thing that, that Tanya teaches you <laughs> is to try to be genuine. <laughs> what is the genuine definition of a tzaddik? What is the genuine definition of a benin? Be honest with yourself, don't delude yourself. Know your strengths, know your weaknesses, know your reality. And that's something we can all do. You know, telling a person you can be something that you're not, trying to motivate them by giving them telling them they could be something they're not, you know, you're telling a mediocrity, a mediocre student that you're going to grow up to be a Kiva Eger. I mean, it's 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 a, it's absurd, it's ridiculous. Are you gonna be a Maimonides? You'll never will be a Maimonides. <laughs> you know, the, you, either you're born Einstein or you're not. There's only one Einstein in the world. I mean, don't, don't. You're not helping anyone by lying to them. It's a very, it, the whole approach of the Tanya, the whole Hasidic approach is genuine, honesty, real reality. Hashem is real. The sign of Hashem, the nature of Hashem, the signature of Hashem is Emes. Reality, real. Hashem is real. It's not a game. This is for real. So be real, be honest with yourself. Know your strengths, know your weaknesses. Be honest. Don't, don't. and that's the whole foundation of the Tanya, the al Altarebi is telling us you have to be honest with we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to know what we're capable of, we have to know what we're not capable of, we have to know what Hashem expects of us. And um and that's very helpful. It's it's very unhelpful when we are dishonest with ourselves, when we delude ourselves. You know, when we forget what we're talking about here. We're talking about you know the patriarchs, the matriarchs, all the biblical characters—they were tzaddikim. As the Talmud says, whoever says that King David sinned is, is, is making a mistake. How can King King David sin? King David says he has no evil inclination; his heart is empty, he slate a heart. What do you mean, King David sinned? If you take the story literally, I mean, the worst bum in the street wouldn't do what King David did. I mean, you know, so you have to realize, remember who we're talking about here. We're talking about King David. From all the tzaddikim, that all the generation, King David is the top, the top seven. A lot of competition. And he, and you're going to say he did something that the that the average person would never do, you and I would never do. And he's the tzaddik. He's he has such a deep impact on the Jewish people and continues to have. David and Melchizedek. So you have to realize who we're talking about here. When we say in the Torah, Moses sinned, King David sinned. What sin? When sin? It's a whole different understanding. Whole different, we're talking about a whole different concept. It's on the subtlest level. Relative to them, it's considered a sin, whatever, the, whatever happened. There. But you have to realize the type of personality <clears throat> we're talking about. It, the type of people we're talking about. We're talking about a tzaddik who is egoless, who is a chariot Hashem. Egoless. His entire being is an expression of godliness. Core transformation. doesn't even have an evil inclination. We can't even begin to fathom what that is. Person who doesn't have no evil inclination, and not only it's dormant; it's not even dormant. It's totally transformed. The evil inclination is, is the heart. The left side the heart is empty. It's not. There. Or in a higher level, sublimated the evil inclination. So you, you're dealing here. You have to have an appreciation of, of what greatness is, of what level of a tzaddik is. And when you have that appreciation, then you can also aspire. You can aspire. In our own personal eyes, we can aspire to be like the tzaddik in the sense that, at least during prayer, during special moments, during those moments, we should be free of the struggle. At least for those moments, we shouldn't even be—we shouldn't even have—we shouldn't even have, uh, we shouldn't even have any, any desires. We shouldn't even have any, any negative inclinations. For those moments, we shouldn't even want to do something wrong. Not only do we don't do anything wrong, we don't even want to do anything wrong. Because our heart and our mind is so permeated with godliness. That's what we aspire to. At least we can get a taste of the tzaddik. Although we know it's only on our conscious level, beneath the conscious, subconsciously the yitzhah is dormant, it's right there, right beneath the surface, ready to come roaring back, fine. But at least on the conscious level, to the best of my ability, that's the highest level we can reach. At least on the conscious level, I can, for a few brief moments, I can take a recess, I can get a break, I can free myself of the struggle. Fill, fill my mind and my heart with the light of it, the divine light which doesn't leave any room for the darkness so at least you know what you're aspiring to but when you delude yourself with terms and terminology and we throw these terminology loosely at tzaddik, this rabbi, this at tzaddik then, then what are you aspiring to? Studying Torah all day doesn't make you a tzaddik doing the mitzvah doesn't make you at tzaddik Doing everything perfectly, that's the ABC, that's Olive base That that's, that's the beginners. That's just the beginner. That's where you start. That's where you start. Without that you're nothing. Now that you're a Russia, without that you're absolutely nothing. So much. that's what you're aspiring to, to be the minimal. No, but you, what you consider the heights is, is just the minimal. It's not even the base, it's just the basics. But you have to aspire to something much more than that. That your whole being should be godly. Your whole being should be Jewish not only you should do Jewish act Jewish think Jewish but you should be permeated you should connect with the, the idea there's no, nothing, no other reality but God the tzaddik is permeated by the reality of Hashem the tzaddik the tzaddik breathes Godliness there's no other reality but God there's no ego there's no I all there is is Hashem he's permeated with every fiber of his being every bone in his body he feels that he experiences that he lives that and when he's awake when he's asleep 24-7 so at least we should aspire to that level. At least we should get a taste of it. Our mind should be engaged in contemplation, understanding the infinite greatness of Hashem, understanding how there's no other reality but God. Our heart should be inspired by that truth, that there's no other reality but God. So at least you're aspiring to something deeper, something real, something internal. And then the Torah and the mitzvot resonate. Then the Torah and mitzvot does not cut and dry and mechanical and technical and cold the Torah and mitzvot come to life; they're vibrant, they're joyous, they're alive. The prayers are alive, the mitzvot are alive. You do a favor to a fellow Jew with life, with love, with feeling, with passion, and it's, then it's alive. That's that's. They say the difference between the chassid and the misnage, the chassid is alive. You know, live people maybe may not be perfect, but they're alive. When you draw a, po- a portrait, the portrait could be perfect. But it's dead. It's a portrait. But a real portrait, real artist, is even the portrait is alive. It's real life. A person is alive. A person may not be perfect, but he's alive. A real person. A living person. A living, breathing person. Not a, a, a caricature. Not a, a robot or a cartoon figure. A real person. The Torah is alive. The Torah resonates. It resonates deeply. The mitzvot resonates. Love of your fellow Jew resonates. It's experiential, it's real. Hashem is real. So this only comes if you understand what a tzaddik is. If you don't understand what a tzaddik is, then the whole thing is delusional. The whole thing is superficial, external, delusional. And it's sad. It's so sad when your, your life is involved in Torah and Mitzvot. You are a religious Jew. And yet you miss the whole boat. You miss the whole point. Because your ideal, what you call a tzaddik, is, is ABC, is not even the beginning of the beginning. The ideal, the tzaddik is the ideal Jew. If you understand what a tzaddik is, what a genuine tzaddik is, then you can understand what you're, what you're aspiring toward. You're aspiring to be like the tzaddik. To be a natural Jew, to be a genuine Jew, to be a Jew that's alive, that's passionate, that's alive, that's vibrant, that's whole, that's connected. So to the best of our ability, we try to aspire to be that, at least uh, at least on the tiniest level, during prayer. And then our mitzvot come alive, our Judaism comes alive. It's not just something you do, it's your being, it's your essence. So it's not like innocent, it's not like an innocent mistake. Oh, what's wrong? So people delude themselves and think, think that the rab- little rabbi is a tzaddik, or the big rabbi is a tzaddik, or the whether Rosh Hashim was a tzaddik, it's a tragedy, because you're, you're missing out. It's not a minor detail. This is, the, this is the whole foundation. It's fundamental. It's the whole foundation of understanding, of being honest with yourself, of understanding what it's all about, what Yiddishkeit is all about. The Torah is divine. It has to make you divine. Mitzvot are divine. Mitzvot have to make you divine not enough just to do the mitzvah coldly and cold bloodily and externally and superficially the mitzvah is divine it has to wake you up it has to change you transform you that's what it does to the tzaddik the tzaddik every time it does a mitzvah it's it's an experience it's a living reality it touches the tzaddik in the deepest way through and through it penetrates the tzaddik through and through everything the tzaddik does is 100% through and through At least we should aspire, at least on the smallest level, to be like that. That the mitzvah should inspire us, should elevate us, should move us, should refine us, help us rise above our ego. Not study Torah and do mitzvah and become even more egotistical. That's pathetic. That's tragic. So if you don't study the tanya, you don't understand the genuine meaning of a tzaddik, then it's it's like you're walking in darkness. You're doing everything that's right, and yet you're totally... It's like telling a joke and missing the punchline. It's like you missed the whole boat. You missed the whole point. And you're clueless what it's all about. It's, it's sad. It's really sad. It's Rachmanis.
2: It was <laughs> easier when, when there was an example amongst us. And then instead of an explanation you saw, you...
1: Yes. But you know there were people, even when there was an example, and they chose not to see the example.
2: Oh, that's the rain
1: God. <laughs> <laughs> there are people who, have, who are just, uh, just enjoy darkness, and just, just even when the brilliant light is shining, they, 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 feel, they just feel comfortable not seeing it. They would rather live with their delusions, and when you see greatness, you respond to greatness. But there are people, even when the sun is shining, they walk around with thick sunglasses, <laughs> and they refuse to look, they refuse to see. So even when the Rebbe was uh, was around and uh, physically in this physical world, uh, yeah, when we were able to see him, there were many people walking. When you saw a real tzaddik in our midst, you know, people walking around with blinders and refused to look, or even opposed. So there are people who choose darkness. Even with Moshe, though, we have examples where yeah. They, yeah, yeah, you're right. Here, the Torah was being given at yeah. the same time. Micha was running around with a pestle, was running around with an idol. Yes, you have, yeah, you're right. So it's, it's a never-ending thing. Right, it? there were people at Mount Sinai who didn't appreciate Mount Sinai. I'm sure there were Jews who stood at Mount Sinai and had no appreciation of what was going on. Absolutely, look, they worshipped the golden calf 40 days later. But it doesn't change reality. <coughs> Mount Sinai is Mount Sinai. There were people who lived in the times of the Baal Shemtev who were opposed to the Baal Shemtev. Only today everyone realizes, oh, the Baal <laughs> he transformed the whole Jewish world. There were people in the times of Maimonides who burned his books, who were great rabbis. And then they regretted it because they didn't realize the impact of Maimonides, who Maimonides was. Maimonides was such a towering giant. You know, in, in a thousand years, now they'll look back, and everyone will admit that, the, you know, that the... But it, it, it's just there, there are dark souls. There are just souls who just don't get it. don't. Uh, but you're right, it, it is easier. And that's why we are living in a very we're living in a twilight zone. Um, it says that Hashem, ten things Hashem created Friday during twilight.
2: Head
1: of Shabbos, but twilight. There was already a moment right before Shabbos. Twilight zone. It was a second, inter- and it's even a second into Shabbos. It says in the Torah, Hashem finished His work on the seventh day. So it actually says, yes, Hashem did work on the seventh day. But he did just a drop of work, which isn't counted work. So Hashem, so even though Shabbos is already, we're on the threshold of Shabbos. Any moment is going to be Shabbos. But Hashem doesn't stop working. And even on the last moment, when it's halfway into Friday, halfway into Shabbos, a split second into Friday, a split second into Shabbos, Hashem is still is still creating things. Hashem is still is still doing things. So right now, we are in the twilight zone. We are in the, that moment, the One another moment, Mashiach is going to come. Shabbos will begin. So Hashem is in that split second. It's a very twilight zone. It's like a very strange moment. And everything is so confusing, and, and uh, half things are being created, half there's positives and there's negatives. So yes, we are living in a, very, in a twilight zone. The fact that the, we don't have the Rebbe, the fact that we can't see the Rebbe, is, is, is a twilight zone. This never happened in Jewish history. Never. Since other Marishim, there never was such a moment in Jewish history. Never.
2: It was always a tzaddik. It was
1: always a tzaddik. You can see. It never happened. We're living in a twilight zone. <coughs> and you see the madness that's going on all around us, the madness in Israel, the madness all around us. So, on one hand, on the other hand, you have so much brilliantly positive things that are happening that are just, un- that are real Mashiach, that are really unbelievable, incredible, positive things that are just mind-blowing, positive things that really, People are changing, and people are improving, and people are growing and for the better, and reconnecting. and It's just, just revolutionary, just, just totally off, off the charts. Unbelievable things that are totally revolutionary, positive. So we're living in a twilight zone. At the same time, simultaneously, we have all these negative things happening. At the same time, we have all these positive things happening. But you know that this is the last moment. This just proves what the Rebbe said, that we are at the last moment. Hashem is still working. Hashem, <laughs> Hashem is still doing. He still wants to get another half a second of exile. He still wants to chaperin, another, another split second of exile, um, and ten things Hashem created during that twilight zone. Hashem was busy. It's not like uh, ten things managed to pull off during that split second. So. Hashem is busy. He's keeping us all busy. But we are in the last split second. So it's anything, it just proves the fact that we can see the Rebbe today. It just proves we're living in a twilight zone. It's an abnormal situation. You shouldn't think for a moment that what we are living through is normal in any sense of the way. It's totally abnormal. And what the Rebbe wanted is, what Hashem wants from us is, if we don't cry now for Mashiach, if, if, if now we're comfortable with the status quo, and we just continue as if everything is, is normal and we just continue to coast along and we're happy with the situation and we live with the situation and we make peace with the status quo and we can live with the fact that we don't see the deb and say, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it makes no difference, what difference does it make? Whoever the deb is, is still with us. If you can make peace with that and you can live with that and you can this, if now you're not crying out, with a, genuinely crying out, it all comes back to that genuineness. Hasidus is about being genuine. Yiddishkeit is about being genuine. The seal of Hashem is genuine. If we cannot cry out in the depth of our heart at this moment with a genuine cry that we want Mashiach now, then when? What more does Hashem have to do? (laughs) He took the Rebbe away. He gave us Aslo. He gave us the the madness that's going on there at Yisrael and all the madness around us. If this doesn't prompt us to turn to Hashem and say, Hashem, enough already. Please bring Mashiach now then what will? I mean, what else are we waiting for? <laughs> so, but this is, this is the last moment. There's no question about it. We are living through literally the last split second. The last split second of Friday and the last split second, the first split second of Shabbos. And, uh, and any moment we're going to celebrate Shabbos. Any moment, Hashem will usher in Shabbos fully in its entirety. And, and, um, and then we'll just tell war stories. Our experiences in the upper east side of
2: Manhattan.
1: Um, we'll tell our children about these. Once upon a time, Hashem took us out of Gollis <laughs> from Manhattan. <laughs> um, but um, so next week he's going to talk about this concept of genuineness, the whole idea of emes, the whole idea of being genuine and uh, the nature of of MS. And it's a very, very fascinating and powerful discussion.